Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Hayes. Hello, we are on with Zem. He's a Yearn contributor, artist, CTG gen. How are you doing today, Zem? Good, good. It's good to talk to you. Gabriel, we've talked in Telegram a bunch around Yearn and various things, but I've never gotten to hear your voice, so that's really cool. I'm happy to be here. Was the title I gave you accurate? That was, it was too accurate. Yeah, I mean, all those things, you know, <laughs> all those things at once. And definitely like yeah, a healthy dose of degening, a little bit of uh, urine contribution, some building and, and a lot of NFT creation. So yeah, I guess trying to hit it from all sides to the best of my ability. Let's jump right into your art because I think that that is, I don't know, it's pretty impressive stuff. It's extremely detailed. It's got, it's got a story, it's got a narrative. It's, it's really impressive uh, from my perspective. I mean, I'm not a coder, so maybe your code is just as e elegant, but I don't know. But let's talk about your art like background. Like, are, are you, I mean, I assume you've been, you know, sketching for a while. Well, what's your medium? How did you get into this? Maybe tell me a little bit more. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've been making art, you know, for uh, my whole life, pretty much. I've always been kind of an obsessive drawer, um, you know, and I got really, really into it sort of uh, post high school and, and went to university for art uh, and all that kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, totally. That's been part of my background. I've always been really interested in just kind of like reflecting um, my environment visually through symbols and through, uh, and uh, that's been kind of the way that I process the world. And uh, it's certainly become like a, a dedicated practice. So yeah, my medium is mostly just drawing. Like I tend to, to focus on works on paper, um, you know, my, uh, IRL art is also, you know, expands into various directions, like I do painting and, uh, you know, I'm working on animations and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, the the um, crypto art thing has really like, uh, you know, I actually like I started doing it in 2017. I made NFTs pretty early, but I kind of picked the wrong platforms. And uh, so all those NFTs are out there, but they're, I think they're like kind of untethered to their images and there's no real uh, way to access them anymore. Um, but then uh, jumping back into the scene this summer, I just like, started like sort of noticing that, oh, wow, there's actually like a lot of, lot of new platforms and a lot of energy. So I started making them again. And that's, uh, it's been a really interesting direction artistically for me because it actually captures a lot of the things that I do in my art outside of crypto um, in a way that's actually more elegant. Like I'm really interested in tying together uh, narrative and text with my work and the kinds of mediums that, uh, that NFTs Per, uh, provide like that's sort of like a very easy uh, integration you know they have a statement next to them where you can write things or you know I've started like a medium blog to like catalog thoughts and things like that so it's just that informatic space like kind of opens up that direction in a, a way that's definitely handy amazing I didn't, I didn't realize you were writing as well um what's so what is uh what do you what is your favorite, most favorite thing about NFTs? I mean, there's a lot of different aspects, but which part of it I mean, speaks to you the most? Um, let's see. Hmm. Well, I think one of my favorite things is the the uh, the kind of like highly symbolic way that they seem to reverberate. Like, I think there's certainly there's a, a few different kinds of uh, modes of NFT creation that are really interesting. I think, um, but my personal favorite is these like highly allegorical kind of sci-fi images. Um, you know, there's these sort of uh, repeating archetypal characters that I think are kind of being summoned out of the collective unconscious about 
um, what's going on in, in cryptocurrency that I think is really, uh, really kind of like uh, uniquely presented in NFT art. And sometimes people almost uh, make fun of it. You know, they'll be like, okay, there's a lot of these like bald mannequins, you know, in, in floating orbs and things like that. But I think it's, that's really just people trying to grapple with this incredibly new technology and this new way of humans relating to each other and relating to that technology. And so for me, that's where I find the most uh, kind of interest. That's what I, I get a lot out of that. I feel like there's actually like a lot of poetic uh, kind of statements being made by people. And it's quite uh, quite collective. It's like people are kind of really uh, working through these archetypes in a way that's uh, that's effective and interesting. So yeah, for me, I'd say that's that's probably the thing that I get into the most. Uh, you know, I feel like there's this symbolic flowering that's kind of uh, Un, untended. It's like this garden that's overflowing with these new images and thoughts. And uh, NFT art is actually capturing that, I think, probably more effectively in a lot of ways than uh, than other modes of art making are at this point. So yeah, that would be it for me. What do wow. you think? What a beautiful answer. Uh, <laughs> I have to take that in. Um, yeah, I think I think that is very interesting, and and I I just opened up your rareable actually, and I'm looking at one piece right here. It's called Governance and Dominion, and your tagline actually in your bio is allegorical uh, allegor allegories of crypto, which I guess exactly ties into what you just said, and maybe um, maybe you could tell me about this piece i'm i'm just curious like to to hear your thoughts about like what this piece means to you um if you don't mind sharing do you know the one i'm referring to yeah 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 for sure yeah i pulled it up too yeah it's um yeah well, i can give you some background on this this piece i guess uh first um i did a you know i'd been doing this series of of work uh that i was calling DeFi history paintings for a while um where i was really just like looking at what was happening at DeFi and trying to make images that somehow captured them, you know, sort of almost like very immediate, you know, uh, like the vaults, Vault 2 version would be launching a urine and I would try to make a drawing of it. And in the uh, process of doing this, I felt like I was starting to understand a little bit of the archetypal substrate of, of what was happening in DeFi and crypto. And then I uh, actually got prompted by uh, by OX Maki from Sushi. He was kind of like, I would really, really like to see what you would do if you just had like, sort of like an open space and we're doing something. Um, really radical for yourself. So he uh, commissioned a piece that was uh, that took me a, about a week to make. Um, and I didn't really, he didn't really seem to want to even know what it was. He was just like, just do something off the wall for yourself. And so I started thinking about um, trying to depict this entire map of archetypes in the DeFi space. And I made a, a drawing, uh, you know, it's sort of like a, these, these pieces are usually drawing based, but then I kind of recollage the drawings back together digitally. Um, so it was a, a piece I called DeFi Total Vision that was uh, these wind archetypes that I was thinking of as these uh, kind of um, these kind of energies or philosophical backdrops for actions that people are taking in uh, in DeFi, like things like you know community or or you know technology growth or um, Dominion, um, sort of trying to trying to 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 attain some kind of uh, position that's that's beneficial for yourself and things like that. Um, and so the character here is actually a character from that drawing called uh, called Dominion. She's one of the four winds. Um, and uh, eventually, I made all these archetypes. Uh, there was there's a lot of them. I think I had like 40 of them total, um, spanning that piece, and then three other pieces that I made subsequently. 
and I collected them all into this like kind of deck of cards, um, you know, that I was sort of thinking of like as an Oracle deck. And I became interested in, uh, in using those and, and sampling from them um, and juxtaposing them together in kind of random fashions to come up with new narratives. So this is a uh, example of that process. So it's uh, the governance card, which is this uh, kind of domed Arcopolis kind of thing in the background. Um, and then the Wind of Dominion, who's a kind of rare specialized, uh, you know, sort of um, philosoph uh, philosophical endpoint. And then uh, actually there's a character that's kind of hard to see in this one, but he's uh, sort of like a, a person, half person, half serpent, and he's like half under the water. And uh, he's the FUD card. So he's uh, experiencing fear and, uh, and disillusionment. And so, uh, yeah, I just put those three things together and started thinking about the way that they interacted. And that's the kind of basis of this, uh, this particular piece. So it's, it's the third of a, a series that I'm trying to develop that kind of uses that uh, methodology. Wow, amazing. I love the, the thought and the execution. Really incredible. So are, is the rest of the deck, so this is basically a combination of two, two or three actually, three um, archetypes and each one has an individual card. Is that, is that what you Yeah. Saying? Yeah, I mean, at this point they're just digital images. I haven't really figured out what to do with them. Um, you know, I'm right. sort of playing around with the idea of, of making them into NFTs or making them accessible as a, a deck somehow that people can play around with and, uh, and you know, draw their own conclusions from juxtapositions of cards. But yeah, so each of the three main figures here are uh, are from that deck and then uh, you know in terms of the way that I put them together I basically would make a digital collage and then print it out and then redraw on top of it to kind of uh, knit together these uh, these thoughts into a kind of uh, allegorical scene. Wow beautiful I love it I think it would be amazing to make it into maybe there was like an NFT tarot type thing I mean my wife is very into tarot and she has you know a few decks and she reads them for herself and for you know friends. I mean, having like being able to pull cards from the deck, this from your deck would, would be incredible. I mean, I'm sure people would find value in that. Yeah, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm sort of working up to. I haven't really figured out exactly how to do it, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love that idea too. <clears throat> I feel like. Um, you know, there's this deep uh, the process of being a trader in DeFi or a builder in DeFi, or really just grappling with any of these things, is is one where uh, there's all these potential avenues, all these potential outcomes. And you know, I'm not, I don't really do a lot of uh, of like, I don't know what you would call it, like I guess um, divinational work for myself. And I would never like, I don't think I would ever really use it for like trading or anything like that. But I think as like a way to just like kind of access thoughts, like those kinds of, uh, of um, processes can be really useful. You know, you come across a card and you kind of have to think about it and interpret it for yourself and think, what does this, uh, this instantiation mean to me? And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I find that kind of stuff really helpful for my artwork uh, for sure. But I think maybe other people would have other uses for it too. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you, you mentioned trading because that's, I, I did a couple clips with her just, uh, I was just playing around like, what should we buy today? Pickle or harvest? We're going to pull some <laughs> cards. And then she would like pull a card and, and say, oh, you got to buy this. I, I, I thought it was funny. Some people on CT it, enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. How did it work? Did it, uh, did it work out or? Oh, I, I don't know if we like actually like acted upon it. It was more for right. just, just having fun. Um, yeah. I think that at the end of the day, you got to 
got to be measured about your application of that kind of thing. But, you know, people out there do it. I mean, I know that there's like uh, astrologers and, and people that are, are like advising people based on that kind of uh, methodology. And, you know, it could be that it's effective to some extent for certain people, depending on, you know, how they apply those ideas uh, to their own, just accessing their own uh, inner thoughts. Yeah, I think that's the key. I think that um, when you look at the cards, you may think on the surface that the cards are like uh, telling a future or, or something like that. But really, it's just like, you know, accessing, like you said it very well, uh, you know, kind of percolating. And it's like bringing up these, these ideas that you've had in the back of your mind. And you see them in the card, but actually the card has nothing to do with it. It's, it's what you're thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can react to a card in, in various ways. So if something comes up and it's supposed to be pointing you in one direction or another, the direction you end up going is really maybe just related to your own inner uh, you know, knowledge. It's not as much about the card itself. Are there any um, NFT projects that you have seen that you really liked? I mean, obviously, you're very thoughtful in the NFT space. Is there anything that's getting you excited or, you know? capture your interest um well i'm finding like the longer i i stick around in the space and kind of look at people's artwork the more i gravitate to it like i'm i just for me like coming out of like a you know contemporary art background um like i'm less interested in like the collectible projects like i just don't i uh, you know it doesn't really access like that like kind of uh you know tingly feeling that i get when i look at like a really amazing piece of, uh, of fine art that somebody made um, that I think is reflective of, uh, of, you know, some new knowledge that I think is kind of brewing at the tips of our, our understanding as a, a, a society. So uh, even though I think some of those are, are pretty cool, like, I, and I, I like their historical value. So for me, it's more like, you know, artists that I think are just like making work that's really, uh, really telling and really reflective of, uh, of where we're at and helps to elaborate the, uh, the technology. Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly, like uh, in terms of projects, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's more about the artist for me. So like there's there's some artists that like, I think are starting to become pretty well known that I think are actually making really killer art, not just in the context of NFTs. And they're, uh, you know, there's sort of this thing about OGs, right? Like there's these artists that have been around for a long time and are, are well known and have a good collector base. And uh, some of them, I think like, are just actually making art that's really going to reverberate, you know, as a, a really telling time about our moment, you know? And so that's, that's my favorite discovery, I think, in the NFT space. Any particular people that you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, some of my favorites are like, uh, there's an artist named Space Painter that makes these, uh, these kind of really immaculate 3D um, uh, sort of, um, spaces using like ZBrush. So he's using a lot of, uh, I mean, I think that's the material he's using. He's using kind of like AR painting techniques to create these interiors and then makes these films where you get to kind of travel around these interiors. And they're, they're really far out. They're quite, you know, fantastical. I'm, you know, I'm a, a unabashed, you know, sort of like fantasy and uh, occult history fan and, you know, also science fiction, but that's sort of like, you know, the, so his, his work really gets into that space deeply. And I think summon some really interesting uh, sort of spaces. Um, then I really, I'm starting to really appreciate uh, X Copy's art. I think he's uh, sort of, um, he to me like kind of like, uh, kind of works within this like painting history mode almost. Like I look at his work and I start to think about like uh, kind of contemporary painting uh, that 
has been brewing in you know New York City or internationally for some time. Um, you know, uh, artists like Dana Schutz or uh, you know this kind of lineage of like abstraction bursting back into figuration. And he makes these kind of GIF animations that are very painterly and uh, capture these like kind of like really subtle um, I think thought processes about uh, crypto and about what it's like to to exist in kind of social media. Um, but the more I look at him, the more I, I really uh, respect him and, and like him quite a bit. So those are two that I would highlight for sure. Mm, very cool, very cool. I got to look into that more. Um, I'm not a super well-versed in art and uh, mostly mostly looking at like different applications, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, the what, collectible thing, it's really interesting, like the way that art and collectibles are kind of like... Uh, in the same space in nft art like it's uh it's there's definitely like a interesting pairing there um you know it seems like what are some of the platforms that, that you think are interesting gabriel um you know i feel like actually there is something missing you know in nfts um there needs to be i, I don't know I, I feel like the loop isn't closed especially for a content creator, it's not a very simple process for me to um, create an NFT that uh, creates some sort of ownership for my audience, right? Mm. I can, I can, you know, I, I'm not an artist, right? And that's, you know, my method of communication is not through that type of art, but I do create other kind of stuff, you know, these podcasts, these tutorials. Um, so perhaps maybe this is my own limiting issue, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that is going on right now in NFTs is basically graphical art, um, which is great, it was fantastic, but I'm not someone who creates that type of stuff. And I would like to create something that creates, you know, some sort of ownership for the audience, for the people that watch. And, you know, I could hire someone to create an NFT or, you know, series or work, which is great, which is fantastic. Um, but um, it, it, that's, you know, I, I feel like there could be one more step that makes it even more authentic to, my, to me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, definitely. I've had this this conversation with other podcasters, too, that I think that it's like it's unique to uh, I, and I agree with you. I think that there's like um, like there's probably potentials for more uh, intricate like, like unlocking mechanisms in NFTs that really give you a feeling of, uh, of exclusivity in terms of your ownership, that there's something that you're getting that's uh, that's really fundamentally tangible. I think for podcasters, that makes a lot of sense to think in that way, because by and large, your work is kind of circulates freely um, and NFTs seem like they should have some way to kind of like, I mean, are you talking about kind of like a gating mechanism or something like they would sort of uh, unlock like access to specialized content or something, you know, the sort of Patreon kind of model or. It could be, I mean, it could be, but, but if someone is buying, you know, a piece of art, they don't necessarily they're not necessarily buying, you know, some sort of gated con, you know, just to rent an NFT, you know, right. they're buying some sort of experience in the NFT itself. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the, the value is not 
necessarily getting access to additional content. It could be part of the value, but the greater value is to feel ownership over the platform, like my platform, my podcast, for example, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that there's definitely ways that you could probably play that out. Um, uh, I mean, like, I, I like that about crypto tokens in general. Like, I, I love tokens that give you a sense that there's some really tangible ownership of a, uh, of a concept. And I think that there's a, a legal stickiness to that sometimes, you know, if they become a security in the wrong way. So that doesn't happen as often as, as maybe it could. But, like, some kind of, like, you know, sort of um, real equity split is really what's beautiful about um, the way that NFTs or tokens kind of... Um, uh, you know, create community around an idea or create community around somebody's output, you know. So for sure, I, th I think that there's a lot of potential for that. And yeah, it would be interesting if there was like a, a tech stack or like a platform that really made that, highlighted that and let people make NFTs in a very specific way, like an NFT that has like a token distribution just like attached to it or something. So that like, you know, um, it sort of becomes part of the like DAO germination process um, that we see happen in, uh, in other other corners of the, the DeFi space or the crypto space. I think that would be really cool. For example, you know, something that's super low hanging fruit is just, you know, tokenizing the YouTube distribution, you know, the ads, mm -hmm. ad revenue. So right. if you are a community member and you hold some of the tokens, you get some of the ad revenue, right? Doing that is possible now, but mm -hmm. it is based, you know, kind of on trust. Okay, I have to self-report how much of the you know ads came in there should be a way just to do it you know automatically just this is the money that came in distribute at the end of the month or you know however just like any other DeFi protocol you know yeah totally i mean i don't know if there's any legal considerations there sometimes i feel like maybe that's the sticking point for people that if you're sharing out uh you know fees or profits through a token there may be some legal stickiness to it but it seems like the tooling should if it's not going to get there soon like I would be surprised because uh, it's, it, that does seem like such an obvious uh, sort of need, right? I mean, like it's almost just like um, ownership of a uh, of a project that you're invested in is is uh, is right now almost like um, it's almost like been ritualized or something. Like you own these governance tokens, and you just assume that those are somehow tied into like the uh, the future profits of a an organization, but there's no real mechanism that, that lets them do that um, very fluidly most of the time. But I think that for what they are, what, what it is, like it's still like a really powerful system. Like I'm super, I'm super uh, like bullish in general on the way that DAOs form and this like model of equity, community equity um, control is just like, to me, like the future. I think it's, it's a really intriguing uh, aspect of the way that DeFi has kind of organized itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely going to happen. But imagine like a DAO had a YouTube channel. I think it would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I've there when I before I really got into DeFi over the summer this year, like um, one of the reasons I got back into into um, crypto was because of uh, of starting to do some some real deep speculative thinking about the potentials for uh, for for that kind of model. Like uh, so. I do think there's that potential. Like if you had, if you just had like an NFTized like cinematic platform of some kind where people could make content that's like really tracked by an NFT and people were 
eager to watch it and there was some kind of fee generation, be it ads or subscription or something like that, then you could have, you could tokenize those, um, those media items and uh, distribute that out to a group of people and just let them speculate and collect fees on it. So if somebody made an amazing movie using this platform and you know, 100 million people wanted to watch it, then all the early adopters and supporters of that movie's uh, generation and construction would then be wrapped into the profit you know, sharing methodology. Um, I think that the, you know, I think that's sort of the could be the future, to be honest, like I don't, you know, right now there's like a, uh, an odd siloing of, um, of content control by these very large corp uh, corporations and, and, uh, and then individuals are kind of on their own to make their content and hope that they can generate some value from it for themselves. But all this could be done in a distributed way. And uh, I think it would probably be more powerful. And, uh, and you would probably get these amazing new forms of media. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that one of the first projects that actually are pioneering is Euler Beats. You looked into that a bit? Yeah, totally. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's really, it's a, definitely an interesting project. I mean, I don't really know the details. Um, you know, maybe you could, it, is it, it's basically like a um, music is created out of, um, is it like sort of hashes, like randomly create music? Or I might have it a little bit wrong. How does it work? Yeah, I think it's generative, but but the key right. is that if you buy an original, people buy prints from you, and you get part mm -hmm. of the distribution of those prints, and the artist gets. So that's really very interesting because that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because now someone else is going to market it for the artist, right? This person who owns mm -hmm. the original print. And we've seen this. It's actually been really interesting. This guy called a uh, Beanie on Twitter. I think I'm get. He's like a, he's like a, a green background. He's got a, a punk as his uh, avatar. Um, mm -hmm. Superintendent NFTs, obviously, and he has been incentivizing the holders of a particular um, track. I think it's Genesis 19 or something. That's the NFT that he holds. And each time someone buys, right, he gets a cut of the profit. And so what he's doing is he's hiring all these, commissioning all these artists to make NFT special drops for holders of this particular print. So I think that that is, that's really what's interesting. And that's like, ultimately, if as a content creator, I would love to get to there because no matter what I do, if someone else is spending the time to market my content, to market, you know, they really feel that they have ownership over it and they do have ownership over it they'll do a much better job than any, any marketing, you know, company I could pay or, or anything like that. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That kind of like copyright ownership is really, really interesting too. I mean, the hash masks, I think did that a little bit, right. It's like, there's a statement, I think when you own a hash mask that that image is yours to control, you can make a t-shirt, you can make a, you know, a towel that's got a hash mask on it or whatever. And it's, it's legally yours to do what you will with. And I think that that's like a little bit of an unexplored territory too. <clears throat> um, especially, I think, in terms of like, I, I mean, again, to return to like, you know, the the area that I find the most interesting is that we've got these like stories that are happening in in the um, crypto space that are sometimes allegorical or sometimes they're just sort of memes and uh, and you know that kind of allegorical space as well. And these things kind of uh, flourish and they tell these really uh, intricate stories. And you know, it's it's beautiful that nobody owns them. Um, but I think that there could be a secondary space where people are very uh, consciously creating characters and creating stories that do have like an ownership um, sort of um, drive, you know, that if somebody thinks that a character is great within a narrative that's being written, 
that character could be fractioned out and he could be owned by other uh, other authors that could then use that character and write their own stories about them. And this kind of like collaborative um, process of storytelling could really be um, sort of like, uh, could be baked into a platform and a system that tracks the ownership and helps build equity for people and uh, and simultaneously builds out the world and lets it be like a, a kind of collaborative um, space of, uh, of kind of uh, content creation. I think the future is really actually gonna be pretty wild for NFTs. Like right now we're, we're seeing um, things that are reflective of what we know, but the things that you can do with NFTs are just gonna be off the wall. And it's really gonna drive a lot of uh, fundamentally different art making modes. Mm, that's so interesting about the characters. Um, I guess like, you know, Disney has a copyright on Mickey Mouse. So if they kind of decentralized the copyright, distributed the copyright, everyone could make all sorts of Mickey Mouse content. Totally. And, and it would be incredibly deep. I mean, there's so many different styles. And that, and again, that that's the ultimate thing because it doesn't matter how many artists you employ or anything like that. A distributed story like that would be so much more deep and uh, you could explore it for forever. Pretty you much. could. I mean, people do that now, right? On like kind of uh, fanfic boards and yeah. things like that. You know, they'll take like Game of Thrones and spin it mm. off into like a brand new direction. I mean, what if that process was, you couldn't really do it with Game of Thrones because that's all, you know, kind of copyrighted uh, IP. But if somebody started their own story, some new thing, um, you know, you could have thousands of people working on it and building out this like incredibly intricate world building experience and who knows where that would go i mean maybe for it would start small it's just like a kind of like writing exercise or something like that but then in 20 years it's like a vr universe that you can play around in and you've got you know i mean this is my science fiction mind kind of waking up a little bit as we start to talk but like you know and then those characters could be implicit to people's like lives they could be as deeply embedded in our culture as mickey mouse is now and there would be certain people that were you know uh participating in it and they would be the sort of you know the thousand Walt Disney's you know that helped create that character that everybody is now experiencing. Very interesting. I've been listening to some Mark Andreessen lately and he said that first the internet will become pervasive and then it will start to set the culture and that idea has when I heard that a few weeks ago it kind of made sense like this idea of punks, people pay millions of dollars for it. Because if, you know, this is the really beginning of a new internet and like a whole new way of, you know, living, then, you know, those pieces that were the very beginnings of the new internet culture will be priceless, right? And that's kind of so interesting. Uh, I mean, how, how these narratives are gonna play out and it's so interesting you use this word reverberate. I've heard this a couple times that I think Red Phone Crypto used that word reverberate for hundreds of years, something like that. So it's interesting, mm -hmm. uh, interesting terminology there. Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's quite plausible. I mean, I think sometimes, and I think this is completely understandable. I think that that aspect of it is really strong and is really true and like something you know, a sort of early collectible, you know, sort of the equivalent of like an Honest Wagner baseball card or something, right? Like a really early baseball card um, that retains its value and is like, you know, sort of part of this moment of generation that's really important. Um, and I think that CryptoPunks can totally embody that. Um, I also sometimes think that that's uh, 
a little bit oversold in terms of the way that we think about the collectible market um, that because it is a collectible market, but it's also an art market. And with art, uh, the way that art tends to work is that you get this like uh, kind of like constantly moving and shifting um, zeitgeist, right? You get these various avant-garde movements that are kind of fracturing and building on top of each other. And early movers within those zeitgeists are are really important, but the zeitgeist itself is on it's uh, it doesn't have any temporal like locus like it it's the next thing that is always kind of the most valuable so i don't think that for whatever reason we've quite gotten to that phase in nft art and in the, the nft collectibles market it's sort of like we've only had like four years of history so we haven't really even seen like a zeitgeist cycle we haven't seen like a new form come into being um yet i don't think that's really uh, sort of like shown and proven out that concept of like you know, the avant-garde being an important part of, uh, of the NFT space. So, you know, I think, so I don't know, I think that uh, you're right that like totally we're gonna see these these objects reverberate forever, but I think there's also gonna be, um, there's gonna be sort of like, like it's the same way that like a meme has like a kind of like a little bit of a shelf life. Like we look back at Star Wars Kid and he's like super important, you know, to just pull a meme out of my hat. But like, is he, is that like the valuable meme or like, is it the next meme? You know what I mean? Like is, is Pepe more valuable than Star Wars kid? Or like, you know, it's sort of like, it's hard to, it's hard to really grapple, I think with what's really gonna be like, uh, what is gonna reverberate. It might be that the things that reverberate are actually the things that just capture our culture in a really direct and, uh, and tangible way to kind of bring us into new directions. Well, Nyan Cat seems to be the most valuable right now. Yeah, <laughs> for, for whatever yeah I was going to mention that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, like that's like sort of playing catch up, right, in a way. Like it's sort of like we had all these memes that are now some creators are actually tokenizing them and you're seeing people like, you know, sort of like really want to own that piece of history, which is cool. Yeah. Balaji said something. Uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but he was saying like that there were there at some point there's going to be like meme millionaires, just like people who like produce these memes and they and they become like cultural phenomena and they sell these memes for a lot. Like it's kind of like tying into that. And then I was like, who's going to be the first meme billionaire? Is that like I was saying that's kind of a joke, but if you if you make a a, a meme and you're able to capitalize on it which nfts allow you to do i mean that's incredible potential you know in the world we live in yeah yeah i'm sure it'll happen i mean it's such a new space we haven't really i'm trying to think if there's been anything that's been like an explosive meme during the you know the last six months that's been immediately nftized and and made somebody super wealthy but I'm not really sure. Like, I haven't really, uh, haven't been tracking it that closely. I'm sure it's happened already. Really already. I mean, the more oh, meme probably. from this era is the money printer go burr meme. I don't know who did that. Right. <laughs> that's a classic meme from this this time period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but who owns that, right? I mean, I it's know. like, <laughs> like, would the person that initially came up with that, if they made an NFT, would it be recognized and valued as like a this initiatory, you know, instance of that, or would it be the next one? You know, it's like, it's definitely, it's really fascinating the way that like those two things kind of pull at each other in different ways. Like NFTs are about 
um, kind of like designating the moment of something's creation. And memes are about really having almost no idea. I mean, you can do some forensics and figure out who the first yeah. poster on whatever board was that, that made something, but it's always in hindsight. You know, you have to sort of see it flourish and become iterated. And then you can kind of go back and say, okay, like who, who actually made the move, made that up. Mm, maybe it will just be that all the memes get NFT'd and then like the market will just start, you know, will decide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really, I've, I have no idea. I mean, there's so many different avenues of NFTs that we just haven't even seen occur yet. So it's really, it's an open book. One of the experiments that I think is pretty interesting is the B20, where they put this art collection together and a museum and an experience. Have you have you looked at that at all? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, definitely. Like, I think uh, it's definitely fascinating. I mean, I'm not. I don't know enough about like the economics of art collection to understand exactly the impacts of that. But it seems like as it's a really good way for somebody to collect a piece and immediately um, realize some value back from it, right? Because uh, it's really hard to sell a piece of art to another collector. You have to have the right person that really wants it and happens to see not only the investment value of it accruing, but just like has preference for it, you know, in art, there's a lot of like, a lot of like kind of slippery contexts you know somebody has to sort of like think that okay this this kind of art is important and i want to build my collection around it and i'm going to collect art that is of this genre or whatnot um so it's hard to find sometimes i think somebody that wants to buy something off the secondary market um whereas yeah if you just tokenize something and you can kind of open it up to the general you know community of investors like it's a great way to to realize that value back you know as a collector so it's it's probably really exciting for people that are are, are um, you know, sort of like buying these NFTs for large amounts of money to know that that's a possibility. So you're not only an artist, you're also an engineer, computer engineer, a dev. Well, not, I'm not really a dev, no. I'm more like a project manager and application designer, I guess you would call Oh, ah, okay. Okay, I yeah. thought you were a dev. No. Mm -mm. So tell me more about that. What projects have yeah, you worked sure. on? Well, I mean, I, uh, you know, professionally, I've worked in the tech space as a manager and a, uh, you know, sort of application designer, um, working with developers to create things. Um, and uh, recently, you know, the reason that I kind of got involved in at Yearn in this uh, coordinate project is because of my friendship with uh, with Tracheopteryx. Uh, he and I are, are, are good friends, and uh, we've done a lot of collaborations together over the years. And so we sort of started <clears throat> having these conversations about speculative uh, ideas about the way that uh, it's actually similar to what we were talking about earlier. Some of those ideas were out of our conversations about um, kind of collective um, imagination, like using tokenized processes to enable themselves. Um, and when he started getting involved in urine, he saw an application of some of these ideas that we had been been sketching out together. So we developed this thing uh, together, uh, along with uh, Zach Anderson, who's another friend called uh, Coordinate. And uh, Coordinate is this, um, this application layer for DAOs that allows um, kind of groups to make decisions on their own about operational uh, aspects of running the organization. So um, I think 
I know Gabriel, you were in, in our test round, so we just did our alpha. Um, so basically, we uh, we've just been working on that for the last couple of months, and that's been you know really my first uh, uh, crypto project where I'm working as a as a builder and working with devs and uh, and kind of trying to build something out. So yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Congratulations! It's a great app. I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun to play around with for sure. I think that. Um... Well, people definitely don't know what it is because <laughs> it's not really public yet. But I think, um, can I explain what it is? I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, basically, you know, you you have a list of people who have contributed to Yearn over a certain time period. And each person has a certain amount of tokens that they can assign to the group. And everyone has the ability to pick and choose who they feel has contributed or you know, the amount they've contributed as well. And what happens is then you get this really nice distribution of all these tokens and it it feels, you know, as a, as a user, I was participating, as you mentioned, as a user, it feels really nice to have, you know, recognition from the group um, and uh, kind of a coordinated and fair way to distribute um, like the dower rewards. So I think it was just fantastic. I think it's a really great idea and a nice execution. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good to hear you say that. I mean, I, I, we were all really pleased, you know, those of us that were developing it with the, the reaction to it. Um, we felt like this is a process that people haven't really probably done before. You know, I mean, it's uh, based on this idea of a gift economy, um, which is, uh, not part of the uh, the general payroll mechanics of most traditional companies and uh it is for whatever reason it feels like it's become part of the kind of like psychological backdrop of DeFi in a really potent way i mean mm -hmm. uh, i think you know drake did a good job talking about it when he talked to you about you know um andre's you know sort of like fair launch and the way that that engenders like a kind of uh, predisposition for generosity um and the way that DAOs seem to form is is all about that. It's about like kind of sharing the equity of a organization among a group of often anonymous people that just want to get involved and want to help out and kind of saying yes to their interests. So the the rub is that it seems like when an organization gets kind of um, more codified and gets bigger and becomes what it's supposed to be, like urine, um, there's no methodology that's really been in been established for how you can maintain that sensibility about openness and about kind of like ground up decision making for something as simple as an operational decision about like distributing a grants budget or something like that. So Coordinate is a, a, a stab in that direction to try to figure out a way that a large group of people can kind of make those decisions trustlessly on their own. Um, so, so yeah, we had a, our first distribution happened uh, last week and uh, we tried like our kind of simplest most basic uh, vision for this gift circle. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear it went well. I think generally the distribution looked the way that people thought it should look, which is kind of the goal. The idea is that the organization has knows what this distribution is supposed to look like subliminally. It's like in their embedded internal group knowledge, um, but it's just actualizing it is, is, uh, is impossible without some kind of game mechanic and framework to do it. So Coordinate tries to, uh, to bring that into the the space of DAO operational management. And our next version is launching on Friday and it's got a whole bunch of new 
uh, new bells and whistles, and we're kind of trying out some different things to kind of do some A-B testing. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, whether some of these new features are enabling or if people react differently to them. So we're still kind of trying out a few different uh, different ideas to see what settles out as, as people's preferred uh, methodology. But yeah, we feel really, uh, really happy with, with people's uh, interest in it so far. Mm. Fantastic. I mean, one of the things that I like about it, about it is that it's so natural. Like, it seems like such an obvious solution in hindsight. And I think that makes it super nice. It's very intuitive. It's very user-friendly. Like, you, I understand the concept, um, you know, without even using it, you know, you can understand the idea, especially you just see the graphic. Someone made a graphic of all the, you know, the, the connections between different people sending to each other. It's very easy to understand. It's like very visual. There's a lot of elements that are really nice about it. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like it felt to me like a, a really nice it's kind of like ritual or something. Like you get in there and you sort of see your whole community around you, and you have a certain number of uh, of these tokens to give out that represent the the treasury allocation. And it's uh, there's you know it's it feels really good to get in there and kind of like honor your colleagues. And uh, you know you get to write write a note to them and and uh and sort of like think about like the way that you're all participating together in this organism so yeah it's got so far it's got a really healthy vibe i wonder how how much this could scale i mean we did it with about 70 people how yeah people? it's about 90 yeah 90, 90 people 90 people yeah that's a good question like how you know how far could you scale this before it started to to denature and needed some other form. I mean, that's something that we think about a lot. You know, uh, Trake and, and Zach and I get together weekly and sort of think about the uh, the next steps and, and phases for this project. And and scaling has come up a few times. Like, I mean, there may need to be some kind of decentralized org chart creation, so that say you ended up within an organization with three thousand people, you were never faced with uh, with the whole group, but rather it would be able to sense the network formations. Uh, that had been happening in the gift circle and, and give you a smaller group of people to uh, to to work with. That's actually it's something that we're trying out on a more manual level for the next round is uh, instead of being faced with the entire group of contributors, you're asked to select like a roster of people that you want to uh, to include in your gifting process early. So that that kind of uh, mental process of just sort of like thinking about the people that you worked with directly is uh, is more prime. Um, I think we found that some people kind of stumbled over the idea that you needed to somehow be generous to everybody or you needed to look at the whole organization and you know maybe that is the right solution for some people so we don't stop that from happening but uh our thought process is that really what you want to be doing is just thinking about the people you're working with directly that your interactions with your team and with maybe some people in other teams at an organization are are what's implicit to uh to giving gifts that are at the end of the day going to model out the organization um in the best way so yeah, so definitely a lot of a lot of space to kind of think about how it scales up. Another thing we were thinking about is like the onboarding process in DAOs, which is uh, is this amazing slippery space um, where people kind of can show up in a Telegram and then two weeks later become like a, a you know a core dev on some project. And we want to make sure that that's enabled somehow through coordinates. So we're working on a, a kind of a NFT based uh, kind of onboarding system that's also decentralized. Hmm. What What does that mean? What do you mean? Can you can you give me an overall walkthrough of how that works? What do you mean an NFT onboarding process? Well, it's a, that's a little bit more speculative. We haven't really got as oh, okay. far with that, but I can certainly, you know, give you 
my you know my sense of the best thinking about it at this point. I mean, what we want to have happen is essentially that uh, there will be some kind of a sort of NFT badge that an organization has some kind of control over, um, and that somebody that's in the organization can essentially mint these NFTs and send them to people that they think uh, want to be involved in the organization. And there's we're working on sort of models for some friction around that so that network growth has some kind of uh, like uh, has some kind of stability mechanism, so it just doesn't can't just explode, and some kind of uh, sort of reciprocity system, so that like uh, you know you take that decision pretty seriously. Uh, we're kind of thinking about like having it be not quite like a multi-sig, but they're having to be some buy-in from your colleagues about onboarding somebody through this system. But then once they have that NFT, then that NFT enables them to be part of the gift circle, so that if they're contributing, then uh, you know your their colleagues and the rest of the organization can can then freely distribute grant allocations to them, just like they would another contributor. And we think that there's a lot of other potentials in the NFT system. Like there could be different kinds of NFTs that signify different levels of involvement, or it could be helpful for modeling out this kind of like org chart, um, you know, in terms of like team management, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, we're really just scratching the surface. I think we've got a few, uh, a few kind of um, roadmap items that we're gonna try to hit before we actually even implement that. Fantastic. Um, I think this this coordinate is this is the biggest innovation that Urine has done in in a few months. I mean, say a few months. Like, that sounds a little ridiculous, but in crypto, where innovation is happening literally every day, I think this is a, a really big breakthrough, and I, and I think that it's uh, it might go underrated under the radar because it's not like you know, strictly DeFi, but I think that, you know, what's going to be, I saw a tweet, someone's like, the next NFTs are like DAOs. I saw and, that same tweet. Yeah, totally. I love that. I wish I had saved that. I got to go find it again. Tokenize yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, maybe someday. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's like what's so cool and interesting about, um, about DeFi and crypto is the way that it keeps finding new applications for this basic technology, right? It's like we've We've now, you know, sort of like figured out how to create like self-perpetuating financial, you know, forking, you know, essentially for like our entire <laughs> like uh, like economy, and uh, and we've got art like kind of like flourishing in this very new way that I think is gonna. We're still just scratching the surface on that, and DAOs are just another uh, another piece of the puzzle there. I mean, it's like this like basic new way for humans to organize uh, and smart contracts like enable this uh, this really radical uh, potential for organizations to develop and and kind of like groups of individuals to take on projects and collect ownership and and enable each other. So um, yeah, totally I agree with that tweet, tweet that I can't remember exactly what it said, but I think the DAOs are, are definitely, you know, maybe the next big thing. And, uh, and there's some great work being done outside of coordinate around that too, like uh, this, uh, there's a organization called Colony that's setting up like a really interesting infrastructure uh, model for DAOs. It's like some uh, I think we hope to collaborate with them and maybe uh, figure out ways that we can we can help help their project too because they're doing incredible work and I'm I'm really excited to to see where they go. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not so familiar with like this uh, idea of DAO tech. Um, not that I mean I knew there are some of these projects out there like I think Hive is doing something a colony is another one right um, yeah 
It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty much on, on the frontier, actually, it feels like, because it is so new and, and people are really like groping in the dark as to what, what a DAO actually is. I mean, and, and, and how they can, you know, actually efficiently coordinate. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, it's sort of like, uh, I remember in 2017, like, all these speculative ideas that didn't really seem like they had much formation, right? Like you had like Golem, the world supercomputer, and you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't like say anything negative about that because who knows, maybe they will make the world supercomputer. Like it's still, I think it's still like an active project, right? And uh, and now it's, there's just so much tooling that it's like, it really feels like the singularity or something is, is at hand where people can just make these projects and the same NFT projects that I saw so much struggle over in 2017 are now just like immediately, uh, you know, actionable. And the devs have become so good at uh, kind of like um, building new things based on the the sort of basic building blocks of Solidity. That um, you know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I think we're we're just going to see like explosions in all kinds of different directions uh, that have been enabled by this basic technology. Uh, you know, something else just jumped into my mind. You said that idea of gifting, and I guess that that again ties into the coordinate and this idea of gifting. You have this airdrop kind of culture in DeFi, which is not like a regular thing. Like this is a completely new phenomenon, and and I wonder why it's like that. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like that's a really good question. Like why? what's happening like culturally that is is suddenly so different in DeFi versus the kind of the way that we approach um economy and and kind of like ip and things like that and in other spaces i mean it's it's hard to say i wouldn't want to like make any statements that uh are too too specific about it because i really don't know but i feel like, <laughs> like um there is something that's it could just be the tech itself that like by having this backdrop of these like trustless contracts we're allowed to be more free it's almost like we can create these little ecosystems that are familial instead of uh kind of um uh essentially being um uh i don't know what the opposite of familial is but adversarial i guess right so in the economy at large like it's a very adversarial space we all have to um have to kind of like struggle against like these uh, these big mechanisms, and we're we're put into positions where we we need to kind of like con constantly be conscious of the um, the kind of uh, the lack of abundance that's out there. And in DeFi, there's just this potential to manifest abundance and to manifest um, kind of trusted connection um, that is is radical. You know, there's so I think it's just uh, we're seeing like really different kinds of organizations and social practices developing around them. I mean, the fact that we have like, you know, collections of hundreds and thousands of anonymous individuals that are all being generous with each other and trying to to collaborate together is is pretty remarkable. You know, even outside of the tech that surrounds it. Yeah, what's interesting is actually that the like a government has the ability to just print money, right? And the right. economy has worked like it's, you know, in the United States, it works, it's functional, you know, there's business, there's growth. And there is this aspect of just coming up with value out of thin air, which in some cases is what projects are doing They're you know, they're creating a protocol and then they're minting a token, but they're actually 
they're kind of creating money out of thin air, but there is value, right? There is value to the project. I mean, sometimes, you know, the tokens sell for way too much, et cetera, et cetera. But if there is, you know, an actual developer who has an idea who executed on something will continue to execute, there is value there. So mm -hmm. you're just capturing that value. And, and again, it comes back to the idea of community that, you know, a developer on his own cannot make a project successful. He needs a community around it. So it's kind of right. like you need you need to have that distribution and you're kind of printing value out of nowhere, but you're not making value out of nowhere. You're just kind of collecting it into this uh, in, into this token. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like latent energy or something. Right. Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm certainly not like don't have a great physics background, but my, you know, my sense is that there's all this kinetic potential. Right. That we have between each other to to summon an idea and uh, put it into action and make it into something that is uh, is useful for each other. And that idea is really the, uh, that's the value mechanism, that's what's valuable. You know, I mean, we, it's the idea and then like putting that energy into motion that then creates like a, you know, a, a chain reaction of motion or something like that. So if you have a, um, a way to kind of like capture that motion in advance through distributing a token, like it's just an elixir and an accelerant for that whole process. Like you say, hey, here's the idea, you know, um, here's some some basic push that I'm giving it, and then I'm going to let you guys have all the extra energy, and it's all going to be captured in these tokens. And all you got to do is help when you when you can, or or even just hodl, you know. And it's yeah. uh, it sort of becomes like a, a self perpetuating mechanism that then, if that idea is good, like it can go whatever distance that idea is supposed to go. And uh, the future ends up being sort of more open because of the process of all these people kind of uh, sensing and believing it uh, and kind of like taking up ownership of it to, to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what we're here for. Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely, I mean, we're here for that in our daily lives too, but just like for some reason, I, I think there's so much structure built up around our daily lives that it's hard to hard to make things occur in that way but then in DeFi, like the structure is so open-ended and it's sort of been sort of like recomposed in such a novel format that like it feels like there's this like uh this much more open-ended potential there who are some of your favorite uh crypto personalities creators developers anyone that comes to mind that you really like their works uh yeah i mean um you know i guess I've only really been paying attention since like the summer, like when I was doing things in uh, and as an, a crypto investor and making a little bit of art in this space years ago, like I really wasn't wasn't paying that much attention. It was like not not part of my social media like space. But, uh, you know, the, the people that I've really gravitated to are just people that I think are really um, have something visionary to say the people that are the kind of poets of the space. So like, Certainly like Red Phone Crypto has been really, uh, some of the things that she will say are, are really inspiring, I think. And, uh, and you know, I, I love the way that she kind of like evokes narrative out of uh, what's, it's, you know, I guess I feel a kinship to it a little bit, um, sort of like looking at what's going on around us and trying to turn it into something uh, poetic so that we can kind of resonate in that way with it. Um, also uh, Supermassive, I think is, is really amazing. I think that his, uh, his way of, of moving through the crypto space and kind of like evoking stories and uh, and talking about 
uh, what's going on and collecting people together and interviewing them, you know, something similar to what you do. I think that's really valuable and it's really, uh, really cool to see. So, you know, those are two people that I've gotten to know a little bit that I think are, are really, really impressive and interesting. But to be honest, I'm really impressed with crypto Twitter in general and the crypto uh, kind of like our social mediated like uh, soundboard that we all kind of keep up together. Like people are amazingly funny in, in the crypto space. Like the memes are incredible. Like, you know, I think it's like our just like general space of communication is like, is like top notch, you know? I mean, I also have like a, a social media like feed in my real life that's like, you know, all about like, you know, the contemporary art world and, 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 and things like that. And it's, uh, it's not nearly as interesting or as fun. I think for some reason, some of that energy that has uh, manifested in the building community is also really strong and just like the, uh, the way that we have this conversation with ourselves. So it's all really good. What do you think about Twitter being kind of like the main street of DeFi? Because uh, that's kind of how it feels. That's like, if, if you're not on Twitter, you're kind of like, you're not in Manhattan. You know what I mean? You're kind of like yeah. in Long Island or something. I don't know. Yeah, sort of. It's uh, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I'm not like a super um, like I don't take a lot of agency with social media. Like I think I, I'm somewhat passive there, uh, you know. But I so you know, crypto Twitter is interesting. I mean, it seems like it's uh, it's really important for all this sort of sort of like signaling and group uh, like value identification to happen somewhere. And you know, Twitter just seems to be like the mode that's the most porous and most uh and makes the most sense i mean i'm always a little bit uh skeptical of social media just because of the uh the algorithmic you know sort of like quality of it that there's something back there that's like kind of like heightening uh certain um certain sorts of statements or voices uh and kind of like enabling them you know through this uh this methodology of uh of algorithmic curation feed curation and stuff like that so, you know, uh, I also really, um, you know, what I'm more into is actually like the, you know, if if like crypto Twitter is like Times Square in Manhattan or something, like there's also this like great bar scene in like the Lower East Side and that's sort of like Telegram, right? And Discord where people are actually getting together and having these more private conversations. And uh, there's no algorithm there. It's really like you just decide what rooms you're gonna be in and you decide who you're gonna pay attention to when they say something. And, um, you know, I think that that's actually in some ways more fundamental to what's going on in DeFi. This kind of like generalized, like, you know, Chelsea hotel of like people working together and, and uh, having crazy ideas. <clears throat> so, you know, I think that those two things maybe have a good balance. You know, you need sort of one to have the other. Um, and I think that they play into each other nicely. So as like a general communal social space, I think it's it's pretty strong and it's interesting that it's, uh, it's kind of worked out that way. Like it's sort of, um, it's like the need found the medium yeah yeah i definitely identify with that idea of having those private rooms and there's all these different communities with all these different people that hang out there and mm -hmm. each one of these groups serves kind of different purposes like you have uh the lobster dow which i feel like the lobster dow is a very critical part of DeFi that most people just are not aware of um and a lot of interesting things happen there between some you know big names that are communicating in that space mm -hmm. so it's, it's pretty interesting 
it's really interesting yeah and i think it's uh it's sort of like subtly accessible like you sort of have mm -hmm. to know to some degree like how to get into these telegrams or that they exist but they're not closed you know i mean like if you find them you can you can just join most of them i think some of them are probably invite only i'm not really sure but like yeah the lobster dow is is great like i i read that those threads like daily just to like see what's going on you know learn more about the the technology there's a lot of great devs that are in there like really breaking down you know major um nuanced new uh ideas that are happening in the DeFi space so yeah yeah what do you think about it do you think uh that the social media space is like pretty well rounded or do you think that there's elements that could be improved or sometimes people talk about making crypto native social media platforms and i'm always kind of skeptical i feel like it'd be hard to hard to do that mm, you're skeptical i mean that's i mean that's what i was going to say like we're on this web to platform seems kind of silly right <laughs> like um there should be something i mean twitter is really good maybe there are aspects that can be improved i mean there's definitely the censorship is an issue and you said these idea of algorithms uh one one, one idea about algorithms i heard was that maybe the user in a web3 platform the user is able to choose the algorithms that they want to see Hmm. which is which is something interesting um but but yeah i don't know I, I i like twitter a lot um but um yeah it 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 is very open but it's also a bit closed it's closed in in the words people use in the in the memes it's like you have to be very deep into a lot of these different projects in order to understand what people are communicating and um, you know and it comes down to the the tone they have which is very hard to decipher if you don't have any context right yeah it's sort of like this like endlessly rolling snowball conversation where like the you know you sort of have to have heard the joke the beginning of the joke to understand the end of the joke or something um, yeah, I'm trying to think about like my experience as a, a, a less like crypto literate person. And, um, you know, back in 2017, when I really didn't know what was going on and was just kind of like trying to figure out finance and, and, you know, uh, try not to lose my money and stuff like that. And uh, I think I would have been kind of flummoxed. I don't, I think that it was kind of hard to penetrate and it took a, a really long time to get to the point where I had been thinking about it long enough to, to sort of like, even interpret what was going on so yeah it's, it's true it's like uh but i also think there's probably many different levels of crypto twitter like we're both mm. pretty involved in like the you know eth centric DeFi, crypto twitter like uh you know island or whatever um and then there's probably like a whole another crypto twitter island for people that are are i mean you know i don't know if you you may also be a big bitcoin person i don't really know but that are more bitcoin centric and are more kind of like interested in, in the kind of macroeconomic implications and then there's places that those two things collide and and you know so i think we've sort of like see whatever slice is most appropriate to ourselves through the process of, uh, of self-curation um you know with the caveat that the algorithm is always there and there's always some advertising you know sort of like presence and, and all that kind of thing absolutely absolutely there's also zrx twitter which i'm sure exists somewhere out there yeah there's drawn <laughs> twitter probably out there you know, there's probably all kinds of stuff. You know, I have this heavy like NFT art Twitter, you know, thing going on now. It's probably like half and half like DeFi versus like 
NFT art creators and, and collectors and things like that. And that's a really, there's a really different, uh, fundamentally different way of communicating, I think, uh, um, and different topics that they talk about as well. So take me a little bit outside of crypto. What are, if any, some of your favorite maybe uh, interests that you, maybe content creators or books or movies or shows that you that you like? Not really. Uh, man, like lately, I have just been basically only thinking about <clears throat> DeFi <laughs> and crypto. But, um, you know, I'm trying to think back to like before I was quite so wrapped up in it. Like, uh, I'm hmm, trying to think like what I can say that doesn't take away my anonymity too much. Uh, you know, I'm, I think that one of the, one of the writers that I've been reading recently that I think has actually been really informative, uh, in terms of my thinking about crypto to some extent and, and other things has been, uh, uh, George Bataille. So, you know, maybe if I'm going to recommend like some readings, I would read maybe his work. He's a pretty outside of the box, you know, thinker in a lot of ways. He was a sort of like, uh, sort of like post surrealist, um, French writer and philosopher. Um, but, you know, I think we were earlier, we were talking a little bit about this like, like idea of radical abundance that you kind of see in crypto. Um, this idea that like there's this like endless, you know, sort of money printer go burr potential, you know, in crypto where you can just launch a coin and it'll just find value somehow, sometimes. Um, and he was really interested in this concept. He was really interested in the concept of the solar. Um, the idea that like at the end of the day, the sun is this like boundless energy uh, kind of like projecting mechanism that we have um, and we don't really realize it. We don't realize how abundant it is and that what we do as humans is we actually try to displace all this energy through this process of, um, of like uh, excessive consumption. And he thinks that this is really healthy, that this is kind of like our goal on earth is to kind of like translate this excess of solar energy into, um, into all these different things, these like kind of manifestations of complexity and, and uh, and and um you know the beauty of art and sometimes the terrors of, of war and things like that so i think he had he was sort of an existentialist and i think he had like a, a kind of like very resolved stance to this um you know i'm less of an existentialist i'm more of like a pragmatist i guess i'm interested in kind of like figuring out ways to build things that like get us to a place of of you know maximal possible happiness and um you know so i think we would take those two things in different directions but his writing is really, I think, fundamental to like the kind of like um, the entry to the era that we're in right now, where we have this potential to fracture reality into new spaces and uh, and kind of like recodify things in a way that's not uh, not kind of um, immature in its thinking and is kind of cognizant of our our kind of like uh, our true potential. So yeah, I guess I would recommend him. He's a good writer. I'm also interested in. Uh, accelerationists a little bit you know I think that some of them have some theories that I don't I wouldn't wouldn't stand by for sure but I think that uh you know uh writers like uh Nick Land um you know are are definitely like breaking down some of the most fundamental changes that we're we're facing right now I think they're very prescient about uh about what's happening um in terms of technology and uh and in some ways it feels to me as though crypto is the summation of some of their hopes that like some of the things where they saw no exit, um, we're actually finding exit right now. So I'm very, very happy about that. What's an accelerationist? 
Uh, I'm probably not the right person to give you a very good answer. I, I've sort of oh, only dabbled in the field, but essentially they're, um, I think that the, the most radical and interesting uh, sort of fundamental uh, theory that they have is that we are, they're, they're kind of like obsessed with this singularity. So one of the things that they think is, is potentially happening is that we have a teleology that's wrapped up in artificial intelligence and that we're heading to that, that endpoint and that there's kind of no escape. We're like on this trajectory to building out this uh, system of, of sort of like super intelligences that's inescapable. And uh, they're, uh, so they kind of like look at what's happening culturally around us and uh, as being manifestations of that. They were being pulled to this endpoint and, uh, and what we're seeing happening around us is just a reflection of that playing out. So uh, they're, you know, I think that, and I don't really agree with this part of it. I think that I'm, I'm more of like a, um, a sort of like a, let's, a slower roll kind of person and, and you know, try to be as, as deliberate as we can. But a lot of them think that like the right thing to do is just to like jump into the fire as fast as we can and uh, and kind of like try to get to that endpoint um, very quickly. Um, and you know, I, me, you know, I think that that there's certain like kind of fundamental human technologies that uh, are are wise to maintain to make sure that like when we get to this endpoint, if that is to be the case. Um, and you know, I don't really even agree with them that it that is the case. I think there's like a lot of different avenues we could go down. Um, but that when we do that, that we're, we're prepared, that we're, you know, we're well prepared and we understand our own humanity very deeply. Hmm. Interesting. Just curious. I mean, there's plenty of people that are trying to build AI. I mean, if they could just magically flip a switch and it was here, I mean, they would just do it. Right. I don't understand what that means. Yeah, maybe some people would. Maybe, uh, I, you know, I think that most AI people that I hear, you know, sort of in, in, in dialogue or podcasts or that kind of thing, they seem to be pretty, uh, pretty conscientious about like the, um, the need to be really careful. You know, I mean, like even like the earliest theorists of AI, like, uh, um, you know, Isaac Asimov, you know, was, was very quick to understand that like, this is a space where we need to set up an almost uh, uh, some kind of like regulation against it getting out of control. And I think that, you know, Ben Gertzel or others that talk about AI a lot or seem to be pretty much on that same wavelength, you know, that like, this is a technology that we can't hold back, you know, like there's gonna be some level of AI and in some ways there already is some level of AI. I mean, these algorithms that we've been talking about are, are kind of like an early phase AI in some ways. Um, but, you know, we, in the process of building it, it doesn't mean that we, we like throw it away and we regulate against it or something else. It just means that we need to be really careful about the way that we do it and really thoughtful about like what the impacts are. You know, I think I'm sort of on that side. I mean, for me, like uh, I'm, I, I sometimes like think that like the, uh, the really crazy and potentially dangerous part about AI is not the intelligence. You know, it's not that something's gonna be so smart uh, that it's, I mean, well, you know, this is sort of like a crazy and, and kind of, you know, fearful concept that something's so smart that we, we become like essentially an ant in the face of its like, mental processes, but the artificiality of it, that we need to really understand what's natural to us. You know, that if we can maintain some kind of like human uh, quality, uh, that that's, uh, that's really fundamental to, uh, to making sure that when this thing flowers, if and when it does, that we are still human, that we still have uh, some kind of core uh, life, that we don't become sort of like uh, squashed out, you know, sort of 
not physically, but just squashed out in terms of like ontologies. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, Elon Musk has talked about that a lot. I heard him. He's, a, he's always saying how he's very scared of the AI and actually similar idea about the regulation regulation that there should be someone with overviewing it. Um, he actually said he said that on Joe Rogan and Joe yeah. Rogan was like, well, who's going to actually supervise this thing, right? I mean, that's also another problem. Like, right. Who's like the government is not like really good at regulate over like, in my opinion, regulation. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like if it's kind of like, I feel like the, uh, you know, and I think that the, the Ethereum machine and sort of like that model kind of like changes the whole dynamic too, right? That it's not necessarily like there's going to be somebody in a lab at MIT or something that is like suddenly, you know, flips on a switch and AI comes on and then takes over Skynet or whatever, but rather that like we're building this big distributed system and, you know, if that becomes our, uh, in a way that's like kind of heartening, I think, because uh, it means that there's a billion switches, you know, that like each one of us is kind of like its own uh, human, um, human piece of this computer, right? And, uh, you know, say AI kind of comes online in a distributed computing system, like it's gonna be a very different modality, I think, than, than what we had thought AI might do, right? Like it won't just like be this uh, kind of Neil Stevenson fundamental consciousness running around inside of a, uh, a, a space that we don't control, right? Like a, a giant server space, but instead it's gonna be sort of like part of this like human computer interaction that's always happening through the, the Ethereum machine or whatever, you know, ends up being our, our future state of, of this distributed computing system. And, you know, I think in a way that's, uh, I feel like some safety in that. I mean, this might not be very well founded, but like the Ethereum machine is, is the computer that we're all kind of constantly interacting with. And we're all kind of like, we have like a lot more manipulation over it than we would, uh, you know, say like a, a a centralized, uh, you know, software infrastructure that's happening in servers where only a handful of people ever get to really manage the controls. Mm, very interesting. I mean, that's that's a system that we're working with, like within the context of DeFi, but it's not broadly used right now. Right. I mean. Yeah. Totally. You, I mean, you think like the government could actually run like on Ethereum? I mean, like maybe, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe they would in the future. I don't know if they would ever want to. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's true. But I, I guess I'm just sort of thinking about like where innovation happens. And, uh, you know, but yeah, you're right. That like sort of like assuming that we're all going to be on the Ethereum, you know, virtual machine as like our basic computing uh like platform is not necessarily well-founded like it could totally never happen <laughs> um you know i guess there's there's some experiments going on that are kind of like have a similar mechanism like urbit right which is like i don't know a ton about urbit but it's sort of like a distributed computing system that is actually trying to fundamentally rewrite like the way that uh that server relationships happen and uh it's sort of like a it's not really similar to the ethereum system uh in that it's 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 actually like more fundamentally distributed, I think, than the the Ethereum uh, system. But you know, I think it is trying to like sort of like use a similar um, like crowd-born computing substrate. 
don't know. Yeah, this is out of my territory. I mean, I'm definitely not like a computer scientist or a uh, a technologist that has that much of an insight into like uh, into like the future of the the EVM. <laughs> don't worry. Don't. You're probably more <laughs> qualified than 99% of the people in the world. So it's don't worry. About that. Yeah, I don't know. So you know, like the sci-fi fan in me just loves to like just like make these like crazy proclamations. But like you know, who knows? I mean, it would be too expensive. Damn, that would make a whole class caste society. People would be begging for gas. Come on, I need some guay, sir. Make my CK rollups, man. <laughs> we're gonna be. It's, we're gonna make it. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, me too. All right, I think uh, we can uh, wrap it up here. It's a fantastic conversation. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I learned a lot. Um, what, if anything, would you like the audience to do after listening to this conversation? Uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, find me on Twitter. I'm Zem, uh, dat underscore NFT, Zem underscore NFT. Uh, I'm kind of in a, like a, I've got like a minter's block right now. So I'm like, I'm like trying to figure out what new NFTs I want to make. I'm on, I got on a whole bunch of new platforms and I'm like kind of stunned and don't know what to do. So yeah, I'll make some more NFTs or come find me on Telegram. Uh, you know, I'd love to just meet. I have like a low key Telegram room that I keep up just to like talk to other artists and stuff like that. Mm. So you can find that on my Twitter page and we can chat. Yeah. Oh, you know what? There's one more thing that I need to ask you. Um, you mentioned before that you listened to the conversation with Muni. Mm -hmm. In the conversation, I brought up the, the NFT project that I want to do. Um, that you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the back your back episode sort of like uh, project, yes. right? Like the first twenty episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to make like a, a series of NFTs, and I, I don't know if I should repeat the whole thing now. But if I'm I've been talking to you know a few people, including Muni, including others. Uh, I just was curious if you had any feedback or insight about how to execute. Uh, this project that I want to do. And again, the key things for me is I want it to be, you know, very community oriented. I want most of the value to go to the community. Um, but I also want it to be, you know, a successful project and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe if you have any thoughts, I would really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, my relationship to NFTs is mostly like, I don't think that I'm like, strong necessarily on like the marketing aspect of it or like what you would do to like build you know it's something i want to think about more but like you know mooney i think had really good insight there so uh you know just listen to him <laughs> but in terms of like the art like uh you know what might be kind of cool would be to like um to like source like a whole bunch of different artists like let like a lot of different artists like get involved right so that like if you got 20 pieces you're trying to make like try to find 20 artists out there and uh and and let each one of them kind of like take on a piece of your uh your back history um and uh and kind of like work with it work with it as a as like a prompt to make a piece of art and uh then you'll have this like kind of unique collection and what'll be cool about it in terms uh, in addition to just having a whole bunch of people involved that'll then you know be part of your community and, and help promote it and and have a really interesting variety of, of like uh, of art styles and things like that. I think would be that uh, you know your back catalog has all these different 
pieces of DeFi history and DeFi and uh, crypto history already embedded in them as prompts, right? So you'll get this like really interesting kind of a catalog of visual culture related to these concepts that are going to be part of our history for, for some time. So that's probably how I would approach it. I would just kind of like crowdsource it, find artists that you like, or, or just invite people to, to get in touch with you. Cause I think a lot of people would just be jazzed to like be part of your, part of your, uh, your community and, and contributing, you know, I would, I would certainly want to do one. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. for sure. Listen, I'm, I'm loving that idea. That was one of my ideas initially, um, to have it like the hash mask kind of, they got, you know, a bunch of different people to create the art. Um, but I feel like one of the successes of the hash math is that they were constrained to a certain style, but within the style, they were able to do all these different things. So I think making the constraints and, and being it recognizable that it's part of a series, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty important. Yeah, actually, that's kind of a good idea. Like, um, I think you're right. I think that that's like would make it stronger. So what you could do is you could like create a template or something for people, right? You could be like, it could be very simple. You know, it could be like whatever you think it should be. It could be, you know, a landscape or a portrait kind of mode or just something that kind of like constrains people and then say, here's your template and just literally send them, you know, a, a PNG or a JPEG or whatever. And then people can, can deal with it in whatever way they want. You know, maybe some people would make it into a 3D animation and other people would just draw on it. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is, a, you know, I also do a lot of, uh, I'm also like an art faculty professor type person. So, you know, this is one of those, I guess I'm now giving you a, a project design or something, you know, so I don't know, maybe don't, don't take this advice too seriously, but mm -hmm. like, uh, but, you know, I think that would be kind of fun for people probably. And, and like, I agree with you that part of the strength of the hash masks was having this like, this like base layer. And it's true with CryptoPunks too. You've got this base layer that you can mm -hmm. then identify difference against really, uh, really easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. I have more questions about this. Um, one thing I've been struggling with is because a big part of the content that I do is based on people like Redphone, uh, Supermassive, those are just some of the people you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Is it wrong to hire an artist to make something like in their likeness? Because mm. I don't want to, you know, infringe on them or any way, you know, it's obviously need to be respectful. So I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think about that sometimes, too. I mean, I've certainly had I've been driven at times to like make art, especially like when I was making a lot of art about about urine, you know, in the fall and other organizations in DeFi. Like it's like. I think like I think it's OK, you know, generally, especially because we have this really interesting um, phenomenon going on where most people are just an avatar right so like mm -hmm. you know when I was making art that would involve like Bantag or something right like he's like got this really iconic avatar and it's it's sort of like feels like it's uh like sometimes I yeah I mean like there's definitely a tension around it like sometimes I'd be like oh like here I am drawing Bantag again like I feel feel kind of strange about it like that's like him that's like his person but then in other ways I think it's like kind of um kind of expected you know there's like this kind of like uh it's not them you know it's like this like image and this this uh, icon that they've put out into our collective context to uh to like signify their work and signify their their efforts so yeah i don't know i mean i probably everybody needs to have their own approach on that um and, and you know i mean if you say 
you could prompt people not to do that. You know, that might be kind of interesting. Like you could say like, all right, you know, Sutton, you're, you've got the, you picked the red phone crypto episode. The only, here's your template. And the only, uh, only other um, stipulation I'm going to make is that you can't use the, the clown. You can't use the icon. You got to think of another way to like, you know, access like the inner persona or the, the output of that individual and, and the kind of stuff that we talked about in the podcast. Hmm. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Like that's definitely like, like, you know, making it's such a big part of crypto uh, art right now, right? Like these like, um, you know, individuals that act in the crypto space in various ways get hundreds and hundreds of portraits of them made all the time. So I don't, you know, I've never heard of anybody like being unhappy about that or anything. So I think it's generally, it's probably fine for most people. And as an artist, how would you like to be compensated? Because Part of the, the way that I want to distribute this is to sell the NFTs very cheaply initially, basically just mm -hmm. to cover the gas. Um, so, and you know, NFT artists these days are selling pieces for you know a lot of money, and it doesn't make sense for me to hire an NFT artist who's selling something for two point two or like point three ETH per piece. If I'm mm -hmm. doing like fifty, it's like pretty expensive, right? So, right, right, right. What, what do you? I don't know. Maybe you have any ideas about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't think that a lot of people would not do it just because of compensation, especially if you make it, uh, make it sort of easy, you know, if you make it like a little bit of low pressure so that somebody can, can do it in a way that's not going to take up a huge amount of time. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are probably open to just taking on projects if they, they seem interesting, um, you know, and not worrying too much about like the getting a couple hundred dollars out of it or whatever. So I think, uh, Mm. You know, I wouldn't, I, don't, I think that you might be incorrect that a lot of people would have to be compensated really, uh, really drastically. I mean, maybe some, you know, if you are trying to get people to do it, you know, I mean, it's not that yeah. he wouldn't want to do it. He's probably just <laughs> too busy and his, you know, his time, his art making time that he carves out of his life is, is better spent on, on, you know, his own practice or whatever. But like, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would probably just do it because they want to do it, but you could come up with some kind of, I mean, maybe a token distribution would be kind of cool. Maybe you could come up with some tie-in and, uh, you know, just say, you know, I'm making, you know, Gabe coin or whatever, and uh, I'm going to give you guys, you know, some Gabe coin. And then, you know, all you're paying for is the, the launch fees, which I don't know how much those are. They're probably kind of annoyingly high these days, but uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like you could probably do exactly what we've been talking about and kind of like find that kinetic, you know, idea energy and just like give people some of that and they would be probably pretty happy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Wow. Much to think about. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I want to make a make a drawing of one of your podcasts for sure. It'd be really fun. All right. I'm going to hold you to that then. <laughs> for sure, man. All right, dude. This was a fantastic conversation. I really, really appreciate this. I, I learned a lot and I would hope to do this again soon. Totally, man. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Let's do more conversations down the road when everything has changed. We got more stuff to talk about. So uh, next week then, right? When everything yeah, changed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Thank you very much. Have All a right, nice day. Yeah, enjoy your afternoon. See you.